0: Hello, hello, this is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce my guests, I just wanted to tell you guys some things that I've been watching that you should check out. I really was blown away by the documentary Athlete A on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's really hard to watch. So warning, Um, it's about the disgusting, horrible, criminal cover-up by the USA Gymnastics team scandal with Dr. Larry Nassar and many other coaches who were sexually abusing athletes. And it goes through the story and you hear from the survivors. And even if you know about the story, it's really worth watching. It's. Really, really powerful. Very, very hard to watch, but I think really necessary. I started watching the docuseries Lenox Hill also on Netflix, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, it is kind of hard to watch because it's intense. It's real life. It's doctors. It's hospitals. But really well done. The, I think the characters are really compelling. I did a quick binge of Search Party season three on HBO Max, which I loved. I love that show so much. It's It's a little crazy, the second half. Maybe it goes a little off the rails, but I still really enjoyed it. And lastly, I have a suggestion for a new podcast that I discovered that I absolutely love. Um, I need to go back and listen to the prior seasons, but this season, it's called You Must Remember This. And this season, they are doing a deep dive into the life of Polly Platt, who was in film. She was a production designer, went on to be a writer, producer. And it's such a good, juicy podcast. If you love kind of the 70s era of Hollywood and film with Peter Bogdanovich and Orson um, all kinds of people and just sort of, you know, that era, I think you'll really enjoy it. So today on the podcast is Andy Dennert. Andy is making his second appearance on the podcast. You can hear our original chat from a few years ago. I'll put that link in the show notes. Today, we're celebrating 20 years of his blog, Reality Blurred. We talk about the shows that have been around since the beginning and of course, the reboots and some of the recent controversy with shows like Live PD and Vanderpump Rules, what new shows Andy's loving right now and how unscripted looks now and how it's going to look going forward. Welcome back to the podcast, Andy.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be back with you uh, virtually and from across the country.
0: Yay. And you're in Florida, right?
1: Correct, yes. It's which is vastly quickly becoming one giant virus, uh, even despite our ninety-nine degree heat.
0: I know. Yeah, I guess the heat isn't making it disappear, huh? Shocking. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that magic hasn't worked yet.
0: <laughs> that miracle. So the last time so you and I did an extensive interview about you and Reality Blurred and your career. Uh I feel like it was two thousand sixteen. It was the first year I started, right?
1: I think so, yeah. definitely been a few years, although doesn't feel like that since it feels like a few years has passed, even in the last couple months.
0: I know, it's weird. And you were here for the Upfronts, which obviously did not happen this or year. Or for a t-
1: actually TCA. Oh, um, TCA. Which is, yeah, which is not happening this summer. Um, obviously, just the state of California isn't having gatherings of more than a certain number of people, and so uh, we canceled it, and... Hopefully we'll be back in January, like cross fingers, but maybe maybe not until next summer. TCA is at the you know worst case scenario.
0: And do, are you bummed? Do you miss it? Do you enjoy it? I really do. Yeah. And I think both just because I have a lot of friends who
1: are critics and just, just seeing them on one level, that connection is great. But also meeting people like you and other people who create reality TV and being able to have those conversations in person is much um much more fun and, and a great part of my job and something that I've really grown to appreciate over the, the, you know, past, I think I've been in TCA 11 years now. Um, so it's definitely been become a, a just a part of my year that I look forward to or, or two parts of my year really because January and July.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so this summer though, you still have a big milestone. It's reality blurred 20th anniversary. Mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. Huge yeah. accomplishment.
1: Yeah. I'm, have no idea how I made it 20 years, but just day by day, I guess.
0: Well, what's interesting is that your anniversary coincides with really like what's considered the birth of reality with Survivor and then everything that followed. So you were really right there at the ground floor.
1: Absolutely. yeah. I think and it's so much of it was just dumb luck. Uh, Just the Mm -hmm. fact that I both got the reason Reality Blurred started was I got fired from a job and i think we talked about that on the last podcast uh and so i started my own site and but it just happened to be right then and sort of that was also kind of as the internet came of age and i think uh we often forget that too that like the internet and reality tv have kind of grown up together yeah. and become awful together too so sometimes <laughs> uh, they both have their charms and uh they've also both contributed some stuff to our culture that maybe we wouldn't uh, have liked to have had here mm.
0: Was Survivor the the show that made you want to start it?
1: Yeah, um, although I actually was a big fan of Making the Band, which was the first broadcast uh, show, um, or first broadcast reality show, at least in terms of what we thought of as reality TV back then. Um, Obviously, Millionaire had come out the summer before, but as a game show. Um, So I was really into Making the Band, and then I was like so excited that we then got Survivor and, of course, Big Brother, um, which premiered also. So yeah, but Survivor was hundred percent the show that hooked me in. And uh I haven't stopped watching since to even, you know, through its ups and downs.
0: Yeah, that's what's amazing. So Survivor has endured, Big Brother has endured, and making the band has re-evolved and come back on MTV.
1: Yeah. And it's coming back again, I think on MTV or somewhere, right? I don't remember who's relaunching it now. It's MTV. My head. It's yeah. So absolutely. Uh yeah and for Survivor and Big Brother just to keep going year after year after year, especially through all those years of cynicism of like, reality TV is dead. And like, I don't know if you remember that from like 2001, <laughs> post September 11th. Everyone's like, we're done right. with this. We're right. done with irony. We're done with. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so not quite.
0: Well, and that's what's interesting, because we're in a moment now with the virus where obviously there's a lot of talk about the same stuff and and not just the virus with Black Lives Matter and the protesting and Feeling like we're in this seismic shift and a lot of reality TV reflecting that or not yet, but perhaps about to reflect that. Well, actually, I shouldn't say not yet because, right, there's a lot of stuff that's happened, which we should talk about in terms of um, entertainment being a reflection of that or being a casualty of that, however you want to look at it that it's hard to say right now in this moment what it will look like in six months or a year, just like with 9-11 in that way, where things are rapidly happening now. So let's get into that a little bit. There's been some really interesting things that have happened in our industry. A&E's juggernaut hit, Live PD now canceled. Looks like indefinitely or definitely, it's hard to tell. What was your reaction, and cops of course, being pulled after a million years. So what was your reaction to both those things?
1: Yeah, I mean I was definitely surprised that any pulled Live PD just because it was their number one show and you know it's I think it's a little easier maybe more cynical to say I could understand how Paramount pulled cops because you know it was a half an hour a week and also who even knows where Paramount is on the Ooh, you know channel room. guide yeah. <laughs> so um and it, I think they basically um so that that show would definitely run its course and was kind of obviously hanging on a little bit so i think easier to cancel than live pd um i i guess i'm like just wondering. i think this is kind of the story of this summer is um a lot of it is sort of like what took us so long to get to this point? Like, um, and I know we'll get into The Bachelor, but like what took The Bachelor so long? Like what took A&E so long to realize that this was a hugely problematic show? And just like looking at the contracts, like I published the live PD contracts with the production company and the police um, organizations. And just like, it's such an imbalanced relationship and gives police departments so much editorial control. And that just seems like that should have been a red flag from the start. And of course, like, There's no reason to sit down and think about ethical things when there's money to be made and ratings are coming in. So I get that. Uh, So I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, But I also wouldn't be surprised to see Live PD sort of slide in the back door as a reimagined show in a few months or um, year or two.
0: Yeah, other people have said that as well. So let's talk about that a little bit. You kind of broke that with um, the sharing of that contract. Who brought that to you and what are some of the highlights from the contract that you can share?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and actually, I want to give full credit to journalists in uh, Texas and other places who'd actually found, got requested the contracts via um, uh, public records requests because those are mm. with. Uh, like obviously it's like within public agency and like what, what surprised me was I didn't even realize those contracts were sort of available. And one story was just like a local news channel. They would sort of said, here's the contract. There was like a link to a PDF and, but no one had analyzed it and no one had thought about it. So I was like, this is a chance to kind of pull it apart and look at it and sort of think about what really happens. Um, so yeah, some of the things that stood out to me uh, were number one, that the contract itself kind of makes an argument that the show is part of the, outreach efforts, and that's in quotes, outreach effort of law enforcement. So it's basically positioning the show as marketing for police departments. Um, It also talks about the fact that there will be the appearance of no editing, um, even though uh, there will be some editing. And it also made clear something that Live PD didn't ever talk about. um, And that was its delay, which turned out to be between 10 and 25 minutes. Um, And that's because Police organizations had a representative in the control room who was able to censor content live. And I can certainly see the need for some of that in terms of protecting people. Um, But they also had the ability to uh, edit and control footage that had been further pre tape segments. And also even the officers who had um, camera crews with them were allowed to tell the camera crews to stop taping at any time. So that just gives an incredible amount of power there for a show that kept arguing that it was just transparent and it it took no sides it really did take a side and i encourage people just to like look at those contracts and they might actually be you know pretty standard kind of agreements and i get that um one thing that really stood out to me i think the most uh was um that it was talking about like that what's most important is like the safety of um the officers and the film crews But that sort of leaves out a whole piece of the equation, which are the people who are being filmed and having their lives turned into entertainment without their consent. Uh, And I think that for me was really problematic because, you know, whether it's a totally innocuous traffic stop or something much worse, I have I find that to be problematic when you're basically profiting off of
0: people's pain, never mind perpetuating racial stereotypes. So one of the police departments that they followed was the Austin Police Department and one of the main reasons i think that the show got pulled was because of a major scandal with the austin police department where the they were basically as far as i can tell witness to a murder and the tapes got destroyed which they said was kind of pro forma and what can you what can you tell us about what you've learned about the incident and then any culpability from the network or the production's company side it's really hard to tell from everything i've read
1: yeah, and that's, there's some great reporting from the Austin Statesman and they were the the publication that broke that story. Um, and it basically, they filmed a 40 year old uh, black man who um, was saying repeatedly, I can't breathe. And he fell unconscious and died as the camera operators were there in multiple vehicles. Um, and this came after a traffic stop of some kind. And that was never aired on the show and they destroyed the footage. This came to light because in Austin, basically what happened was the DA, I think, was investigating and looking into um, this incident and requested things from the production, and the production wasn't cooperating. And what's and so I think then that's where the first story came out. And Dan Abrams and the production and maybe AE to some degree have said since then that they were never asked for this footage and they just deleted it as part of their normal course of action. But I guess even if that was just procedure, like how do you film the death of a human being and not bring that up on your show? That's about transparency and policing. Even if you don't show it, even if you don't use most of the footage, like how do you, I don't know how that even like that just, that just brings the editorial judgment, I think, into a lot of question for me. Um, And yeah, so I'm not sure. Like it's it's kind of becoming a like they said they said kind of back and forth between the DA, the production company, and and all that. But the fact is, and it turns out too. I think as part of this, they've said they filmed other murders um, or deaths of people in these similar situations. And it's like, what what is happening with the show? Really, like that's that seems pretty horrific. Um, and to, to then not ever include that or even discuss it on the show seems also horrific to me.
0: Yeah. I feel like this story is not over and we are going to be hearing a lot more. I'm sure there's an investigation underway and I assume that's all happening.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, you know, I think it's VH1 or um, that some people have cut ties with the production company just as a result of this. And I think that's, that's interesting to me only because um, I don't know if that's sort of a performative thing or if that's a recognition, like we don't trust their ability to handle this kind of show and um, I often like one thing I've learned in 20 years of, of doing this work now is how often I think networks throw producers under the bus uh, <laughs> and like, and producers end up taking it because they need jobs in the future. Um, and I've known about some of these things that I have heard off the record and it's surprising to me. And so I I don't want to like, I do wasn't in those rooms. I don't know exactly, but I just think that that's one of the things this industry needs to reckon with a little bit is that relationship and what network executives are asking for, and then what production companies are delivering, and like how honest we are about that relationship and how it's affecting the end product.
0: I think that's a great point. And I would have liked to know the reason for why Viacom cut ties. And if you know, I think that that would have helped put it in perspective instead of us being left to fill in the blanks. Right. Exactly. So you did mention the Bachelor, and I know that you have been a Bachelor fan for, I guess, how long has it been? Seventeen years? I think it was two thousand. Yeah, two thousand
1: two. Yeah, two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, exactly. Crazy.
0: So they finally figured out that there could be a Black Bachelor. Took them a while, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, years and years, and even at TCA of asking ABC president after ABC president is now going to is it going to happen when? And you know, we were told like, well, we need to sort of, because the cast sort of comes from the previous cast, we need to diversify our cast first. So they diversified their cast. And last year they had a great candidate uh, and then they went with the white guy again. Um, Big surprise. So, but finally we now have someone who's kind of a little bit from outside of the franchise. He's like known to the show, but he hasn't actually been on one of the seasons yet because he was going to be on Claire's Bachelorette this spring, which of course hasn't yet filmed.
0: Um so do you think that they're going to, well, I didn't watch the Rachel season of the Bachelorette, but did they make race a part of it? Like, did they talk about it?
1: Yeah. And I think they made race a part of it in the worst possible way, which was they, <laughs> they cast a racist who had a bunch of oh, racist racist social media posts and then they turned it into an on screen conflict with another person and then basically made Rachel choose between them in order to like, let this play out as a storyline. And just, I say this as a, as a middle-aged white man, like I don't trust a bunch of white producers to produce that storyline in any meaningful or, you know, that's just, that shouldn't have happened um,
0: at all. I think you just brought up a really good point. I'm not sure if you heard my podcast from last week with the black producers and unscripted. I did. So we talked about that and how important it is to have black producers and black women and men in leadership crafting these stories because it matters. And I think that it'll be interesting to see whether or not this season of The Bachelor changes their crew as well or diversifies their crew, because I think you're right. I think that's so key in how the story is presented and crafted and found.
1: Yeah, And it's, and I think that's just has to happen. And it seems like the batch, so like casting a Black Bachelor is one thing. So the Bachelor producers and ABC have issued a statement in which they said they are committed to doing that. Um, So Mm. that's hopeful and maybe they will actually deliver on that. But I think we've seen so many examples of that, even before um, this kind of reckoning with America's racism and systemic racism in our industry and and elsewhere. Um, Just last year on Survivor, we had two incidents, one a year ago in the spring with a black contestant talking about how white people were using racial slurs from day one, just in casual context, and that was just Allowed, but it's like all the producers on the beach are or most of them are white. So um, and then in this in the fall, we had basically sexual harassment and unwanted touching that producers didn't stop repeatedly. But again, we have a mostly male um crew on the ground there. And and I, I'm not saying that like men can't be alert to sexual harassment or and and do something about it, but it just seems like with no one who really understands what's happening or hasn't had it happen to them before, it's much harder to like understand why they should intervene or do something or create rules that this shouldn't be allowed.
0: A hundred percent. I just read this article that came up while well, I was researching something else um, from Linda Obst, who's a big Hollywood producer. It came out in 2017 when the Me Too movement exploded with Harvey Weinstein. And she was saying that when she and this kind of cadre of, female producers started to have some power in Hollywood and started to be producing on sets, the actresses would be so relieved that she said the they couldn't believe how different the pitch meetings were, how different the set was and how much differently they felt, how safer they felt in the environment with women from the beginning to the end. And it just was so profound to me that, you know, We could talk about larger leadership of the country and the fact that we still haven't had a female president, but that there really is a difference when people of color and women and not straight white men are in power. I mean, I think that that's clearer than ever. And I just hope that we continue to shift in all of those ways and especially in Unscripted, because I think we just tell better stories and more nuanced stories that way.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, that's why I fell in love with reality TV in the first place was its ability to tell people stories who were unlike me and help me understand what it was like to not be, not have the same experience that I did. And so I think we need to represent those experiences, not just on screen, but um, behind the behind the camera as well.
0: Let me ask you a question in this vein. So there are housewives. You know, so Bravo was reckoning with this as well. And I think, you know, they fired a few of the Vanderpump Rules girls for racist incidents that happened a few years ago with one of the black cast members. But I'm interested in what the network and the production company's responsibility is when it comes to somebody like a Kelly Dodd. So she's this housewife from Orange County who said some crazy stuff on social media about, you know, thinning the herd. And this is kind of like population control and just like get over it. And people should be allowed to go. She's been flying all over the country. She's out there. You know, and she also happens to be a really good housewife because she's out there and crazy. Rare. So, you know, should they fire? Because there's a lot of calls to fire her. Um, should networks fire someone for saying crazy shit on social media?
1: I mean, I I think like it's it's a it's. Both complicated and not. On one level, I just want to say yes. Like if you're saying awful, racist, homophobic, sexist things, misogynistic things, yes, like why we don't need you around and you should go away. Um, and also these are ultimately business relationships. And like I think part of that is like, does Bravo want to be in business with and profiting from and selling somebody who thinks and does this? Like, and that's a question that I can't answer for Bravo, but I hope the people at Bravo would just be like, this is not who we want representing us, you know, like, and I think there's also a difference between somebody who maybe five or 10 years ago wrote some stuff on social media Mm -hmm. and has since proven that that is not who they are and have done the work to show that they've grown and changed. Like, I know I've certainly had moments in my past or made decisions as a writer even that I regret and wish that I could undo. Um, And I've worked since then to make sure I don't repeat those mistakes. Um, And, you know, like, and I just think that, uh, and it's, it's like I haven't been using racial slurs everywhere either, so I don't know if it's it's a one-to-one comparison here. But I just think that, like, I think we need at least some kind of guidelines, and I think that's part of one of the interesting things I'm just thinking about reality TV at like 20 years. There's never been industry-wide standards. There's never been a sort of like agreement about how we treat cast members or like what this sort of ethics are. And like, even if you have an ethical framework, like journalists, we have an ethical framework. Uh, a lot of journalists can interpret that in very different ways and you can have spirited conversations, but we have nothing in reality TV. And I think maybe it's time to sort of figure out what we think is okay and what isn't, both as networks and as critics and journalists and also just fans, um, like I think we both are.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point because I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Ironically, because of Top Chef. So this season of Top Chef, have you been watching? I well, know it's over. Yeah, now, I, I so. loved it, but yeah, spoilers Definitely. ahead. Yeah, Indeed. so that's why I bring it up because it was such a great season. It was it was an all star season, all star season, just you know, top of the top of their game chefs who have all are just astounding. Not just chefs, but people. They. Most of them just are these wonderful people who are not interested in conflict. They're interested in cooking and winning and camaraderie. There was no conflict this season that I can, you know, little things here and there that were completely based in what was happening, not in anything not appropriate to the drama. Right. And it was a wonderful, enjoyable season. And I thought, wow, here's a show that celebrates artistry, that celebrates these really solid people working at the top of their game that doesn't have to go low to create drama, to create ratings. And I think it was a pretty well-rated season as well. I don't know, critically at least. Yeah. So it made me think about just the genre as a whole and like, can we succeed as a genre without doing that? Yeah,
1: I think, I think so. And I think it's just a matter of committing to it. And also um, one of your, I, I don't remember uh, who was your guest last week, um, who was talking about just like, you know, maybe viewers, whatever viewers, like, I think that's executives often say like, well, that's what our viewers want, but like, they probably also, you know, they would go to a coliseum and watch lions tear people apart also. (laughs) And like, that is, doesn't mean we need to, to serve that up. And like, um, great show, like, you know, a show like the great British baking show or bake off, depending on Mm -hmm. what country we're in, uh, (laughs) like is so charming and wonderful and has plenty of drama without having to sort of like create it and frankenbiting and pitting people against each other and and that's not to say there's not a place for conflict and human people beings have they butt heads, and there's relationship stuff that happens but yeah like i top chef was just so wonderful and um and there was like and i was to say there's was, there was definitely conflict but it was like internal or was like fighting against the food or the time or just their own expectations and that's wonderful to watch also
0: it really is a slippery slope or a, a thin line, whatever you want to say, because I'm thinking about my own viewing habits. And the truth is, is when I watch housewives, I do want conflict and I'm bored when there isn't conflict. I go to it for the train wreck and I don't love the over the top. I think we've all kind of soured on the really crazy stuff because it's almost too much, but I think we do enjoy watching kind of the dumb drama.
1: Totally. Which, and so I don't, do you watch New York by the way? Oh New yeah. York? Oh my God. And so like, I think- crazy. <laughs> for me like that's it's tipped over oh yeah of course you do you just interviewed Luanne um yeah like I think this season tipped for me into um from just that kind of dumb drama into total drunken craziness and it's not enjoyable anymore for me because I don't need to see someone going blackout drunk crazy every night like sure Luann falls into the bushes once like charming epic maybe. fall oh yes yeah. very charming <laughs> <laughs> but but then like and and we can have we can have moments but when it's that non-stop and people just performing for the cameras and to keep their jobs like that's no longer interesting to me
0: i think you're in the majority there from all of my little facebook groups that seems to be the consensus people are just like okay this has gone too far i yeah. actually am entertained by it but you know <laughs> maybe i'm the one who wants to be in the Coliseum, So <laughs> <laughs> that's <true>. Well, yeah. <laughs> So moving on, you are such a consumer of all things unscripted, and you've been watching a lot of these self-shot shows from quarantine. So talk about your experience watching. Give us some examples of the shows that you've watched and how you've experienced them.
1: Yeah, I mean, so especially just thinking of the ones that have been shot in film since March. um, I think American Idol just did a spectacular job of adapting to having to do its live shows remotely. Um, And I'm not the biggest American Idol fan to begin with, but I think it really helped them to be in people's houses and living rooms because it showed that these are kids and young adults who have just become musicians from their living rooms quite literally. So I think they just did a really excellent job in just making that production strong. Um, I really enjoyed um, Amy Schumer, Amy Schumer Learns to Cook, uh, which I thought was just kind of charming and quiet and uh you know obviously she's a performer and um and i think she's in a relationship it's obviously her husband so they have like dynamic and a relationship to begin with but it just was a, it was a really fun show i didn't end up writing about it but i was just enjoying watching it um and I'm trying to think of some of the other shows that i, I just did uh, um watched and reviewed uh this week with a brand new show that started um tournament of laughs which is basically taking comedians from their houses and putting them into a bracketed competition which i think is kind of what i didn't expect a competition to come out of that but it's kind of what i expected sort of quarantine reality tv to look like which was just a lot of sort of varying quality and it ends up working in that show because it's a competition and people can vote for which comedians they like and don't like Um, But I think I I often tune into Unscripted to see high production values. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's just like a celebrity with like a cell phone in their face and they're not even bothering to like clean off their camera. So it's like all blurry, like or maybe they smeared Vaseline all over it. I don't know. um, In order to give that like effect, uh, it's maybe less interesting to me. And I'm kind of look forward to the days when we can go back to some just beautifully shot Epic shows. And, and clearly there's, there's also a lot of those still coming out right now um, ones that filmed before then. So it feels like we haven't quite gotten into that point where like we've run out of content Um, and maybe we won't, I don't know.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see kind of once we're out of this, how the networks, if the networks shift, because there was an article that came out about a month ago that discovery was saying, wow, this has been great for our bottom line. You know, all these shows are so much cheaper to produce. So maybe we'll rethink how we do some of this. And of course that scared the crap out of all the producers because it's like budgets are so tight already. And then if we think about even chopping them more and shooting stuff on an iPhone, we we become irrelevant.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, I hope that's not the case. And I hope it's not just letting, like, because I hope networks and everyone else rep- recognizes the, the talent that, goes into producing and that you need that. But I think it's also maybe a good opportunity to revisit, like, what do we need? Like, just, do we need X, Y, and Z? Or can this, you know, are some things unnecessary? Um, Do we, and like certain kinds of shows might be able to be produced in different ways? I hope we don't move to a world of just that because I don't want to watch YouTube all the time. I stay Mm -hmm. off of YouTube uh, in part because I don't want to be accidentally brainwashed into joining a cult or like falling into some (laughs) misinformation hole. Um, But like also just like, you know, those are great mediums for like TikTok and what people are creating, but like that's, that's that. And then I think we need professional entertainment also has a role. So I hope we, hope we stick with that.
0: But I just wonder if anyone under 25 feels the way you and I do about that. I'm, I mean, that seriously.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, if you look, though, at, from this year of the shows that sort of took off, even on Netflix, like The Circle and Love is Blind, mm-hmm. those are not shows you can do on an iPhone, right? Like, and so I think, yeah, maybe there's maybe some kind of shows will have to fall away, but like, there's certainly stuff that you can't do that. And like,
0: and well, The Survivor, Bachelor, I mean, yeah. that's young gets younger and younger in terms of the audience.
1: Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that there's a, um, maybe there's an opportunity to kind of like play into what that audience is, is looking for on some level. But like, I also think that they want to watch a well-produced show just as much as the rest of us, or at least that's my hope for the, for the, I don't want to know what I'm supposed to call them as young, the young people. I, what what are they Zoomers. now? Like it's not now they're calling them Zoomers. Zoom, oh, for the Zoom generation. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like I, millennials now are in their like 30s. No, it's so. Gen
0: Z. Right. Millennials are now old. Millennials are like boomers. <laughs>
1: exactly. Gen and Z in, is passé.
0: Now it's Zoomers.
1: And I think I, I I fall between like Gen X and millennials, and so I feel part of none of those. So I just kind of don't even know how to like. It's hard for me to even categorize other people.
0: Right. Those, so you've been doing this as we said for 20 years and it's interesting like we said at the beginning kind of seeing what's old is new again what's new is old again what's changed for you as you kind of take a step back and look at the landscape of the last 20 years how do you think the genre has evolved or not evolved and and kind of like how you've covered it what are the major differences been and how you, from when you started till now
1: yeah I mean I think it's been fascinating to sort of watch the that long arc like we were at some point, maybe halfway, the halfway point of the Duck Dynasty era, I think, like spiraling down this totally scripted path. And that terrified me as someone who fell in love with authenticity and watching real people on the real world. Um, so, but I also am grateful that that kind of went away. And there was this, you know, there's been these interesting kind of trends that sort of pop up, like the sort of hyper transparency where there's like breaking the fourth wall all the time and we see camera crews. And, you know, I think that also, you hate paid that, home. right?
0: I feel like from Twitter, I know you're not a fan.
1: Yeah. Like as long as if it's real, sure. But like, if it's that kind of like, like almost like you can tell that the camera operator knows that they're being filmed, like that's
0: pointless as far as
1: I'm concerned. Sorry to interrupt, but did
0: you, do you watch Million Dollar Listing LA?
1: Um, I used to, I've given up in the last few years.
0: Yeah. Okay. They did something last night. I was curious on your take. It was a breaking the fourth wall and I was conflicted about how I felt about it.
1: Interesting. I'll have to go back and watch just um, those. I think eventually they drove me nuts, uh, or at least some of the cast members. I won't Understood. mention any names. Josh
0: Alvin. Um, <laughs> There's lots of Josh's. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, oh, sure, as you were. Yeah.
1: So, um, and I think for what's what's interesting for me too, and, and, and I know this connects into your background, right? Like the beginning when reality TV kind of suddenly exploded, what networks and production companies needed and went to were people in news and documentary. And started pulling so there was like this tradition of like reporting and following real people and real action and like even if you're turning that into into entertainment um but then um that sort of i think just the need for more content eventually became like well if you were a pa on this show now you're segment producing and like suddenly we have people who are show running who started in reality tv so it's sort of interestingly kind of developed its own group of professionals. And I think in many ways, that's been really awesome. And also, like we talked about before, a lot of people have come up in an industry with no real standards in the same way. So um, that's just been interesting. And then for me, I think as a writer, I certainly started as a fan and just kind of commenting about what I'm seeing on TV. And I think there's There's a lot of value as a critic for me just to evaluate what I'm seeing on screen because that's what everyone sees. I'm like, what messages is it sending? Like what's happening to these characters? What's what's the quality of this piece of art that is on screen? Um, But then just as a person, I'm fascinated to learn what happens behind the scenes. And I wanna know how it came together and I wanna know who made those decisions. And I want to, I just, I crave that kind of information. So that's been fun for me as a journalist to learn more about that and meet people who actually produce reality TV, from all levels, from camera operators, all the way up to network executives and just get insight into that and learn more. And I think, you know, if you probably go back to Reality Blurred in the early days, I'm sure there was a period of time when I would just kind of like talk about producers in this like Broadway and kind of blame them for everything. And (laughs) I think I have a much better understanding now of like how many layers of people there are who are responsible for creating this thing. And that's awesome and amazing to me on some level, just like, I don't know how any television gets made uh, with all the people that have a hand in it. It's incredible.
0: (laughs) What do you think about, I guess, mostly the last five to six years about this boom of premium, what we call premium documentary series that in the way that the genre has expanded into that? Have you been a fan of that type of programming?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's some degree to which I'm just laughing at labeling reality tea as documentary series because it's like, is this just a reality show? Like, stop, like just this, I guess they don't, people don't want to use that label. So we've used other ones or like even like calling OJ made in America, um, which was a brilliant series and calling that a film, like n- films aren't nine hours long and air <laughs> over multiple nights on television. That's a TV show. And let's, let's call it a TV show. Um So yeah, I love I mean like But can you call a, that a reality show? I, I mean you could I think that's probably more close to a documentary show for sure. But if you're following people in their environment, I mean that's less a documentary series and more a reality show. Go back to like the early nineties real world. That was a documentary essentially. Mm-hmm. Like there was some artificiality, but like pretty pretty documentary. And um we've I think that's the thing do we like the genre doesn't really have labels that anyone really likes or agrees with or there's no standardization so i'm all for quality and like maybe not for the sort of performative quality like there's some shows that are using drone shots that i don't know if we need drone shots in them and like just every to, like,
0: ducky series has a drone sh- multiple drone shots
1: <laughs> yeah and it's like it's like okay got it you congratulations you got a drone uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like why do I need to be looking at the rooftops over and over again? Like let's move on. Yeah. Um, It can be
0: very overused. I agree. All right. So as we're wrapping up, tell us what you're loving these days. What are you watching? You always have a new show that you're excited about. So tell us what we should be watching.
1: I mean, in the middle of summer the show that I'm, I can't get enough of uh, right now. And uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. So it's tonight uh, is Holy Moly on ABC. I just, you know, I cannot get enough of people bouncing off of things into water, um, like the original wipeout. Um, and they've added a lot more of that this season, but it's also a genuine competition. Like there's real golfing and people who are serious about this sport and some great commentary. That's both comical, but also just really great raw reactions from Joe Testor and, um, Rob Regal. So just absolutely perfect summertime show. I'm so glad they were able to finish completing production on that before, um, all this went down um i really like other things that i've loved like uh true tv had a little small show that i'm not sure is exactly broken out but called turdy works i don't know if you've seen that um, oh
0: i've seen the description and i am all out on that <laughs> <laughs> that is not for me
1: it's so like i think maybe part of it is too that i was missing Shit's creek but it sort of feels like <laughs> it's just this wonderful small town of charming characters all working together and yes it happens to be about a, a person who makes trinkets out of moose turds um but it's just like a charming show overall and just yeah i've just really enjoyed um enjoyed seeing that um trying to think of what else is i mean are you watching floor
0: is lava i know that's the new one everyone's excited about
1: yeah, I really,
0: I I really loved it.
1: I did not like the narration. I thought that that was a little overwrought and I <laughs> almost started watching it on mute. Um, but I think it was just, again, a lot of fun in that same way of watching people fall into things and such a brilliant decision in editing to when people fall into the lava, just cut away, it, like they don't really cut away, but it's filmed as such that you also don't see the person like swim out of oh, the really? lava. So it sort of looks like they just fall in and then they're gone. (laughs) And it's like, it's the wonderful choice uh, in post to make it kind of look like this lava is
0: consuming people. That is Um, insane. So I am curious about it just because it sounds wacky.
1: Yeah, totally. And I read an interview with one of the producers who said that the lava is like the consistency of like orange sauce uh, from Panda Express. So, which now makes me just wonder like how sticky it is and like, or what's the, you know, just it looks it looks amazing and fun. Um, and I think for me, summertime shows always should just be fun. And um, I'm looking for some levity and that's right there for me. Um, yeah. And I'm missing Top Chef and like competition reality because we don't have a lot of that right now. Um, one show that just started on Netflix was Ugly Delicious uh, or sorry, not ugly. There's so many delicious named shows um, on Netflix. Uh, Crazy Delicious, which uh, came from the UK, and has Carla Hall, who I just absolutely love from every single thing that she's ever on. Heidi Ho. Uh, yeah, and she's a literally labeled a food god in the show, and I'm like, yes, she is. And, I agree, love her. Um and it's so much like it's got the tone of the Great British Bake Off, but it's in like one-off episodes, so it's oh, kind of good. nice to have a, have I'm a bite-sized version of that. So yeah, I think that's, honestly, that's- I
0: saw that and I thought it. I saw the name and I thought it was the David Chang show. exactly yeah i was kind of lukewarm on so i just
1: was like eh. and i was kind of all day because i was like well crazy i'm like this is just going to be another nailed it (laughs) or yeah but it's like the craziness is in the way they present food not in the show itself it's very almost sedate uh
0: comparison cool so So, annie tell everybody where they can find you on the socials
1: yeah, uh so my website is realityblurred.com um and there's links there and stuff uh to my newsletter which I send out every week uh, and that's a good way to keep track of me. I'm also realityblurred on Twitter um where I, I can often comment in real time and you can see my real time joy and or outrage uh, about yes, <laughs> whatever happens you're watching. It. Thank you, thank you. Um yeah, that's okay, I think that's yeah. I'm not on Instagram because I'm or the TikTok and it's I have a, to put it's the word a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, don't don't, too much.
0: don't go there. It's too much. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you again after so long and I yeah. hope we can do this again on your 25th anniversary. That sounds great. <laughs> thank you so much. And I appreciate it. Thank you.